Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with fascinating people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Dr. James R. Gaskell, a local health commissioner in Athens, Ohio. We talk about life on the front lines of the COVID-19 battle, the battle for grassroots testing, and how local health departments are charged with enforcing statewide health orders. He paints a picture of fighting the pandemic from the bottom up. Dr. Gaskell, uh, you're on the front lines of, of this disease, and what I want to do is talk a little bit about the role of the local health departments, city, county health departments that are around the nation. Uh, They're not the state department of health, but they're the local department of health. What your role is on the front lines of this disease. So tell me, first of all, what do city, county health departments do? Oh, my. Uh, Well, we have lots of activities. Uh, We have uh, vital statistics uh, a department. We have a department of nursing. The vital statistics keeps, uh, as you might imagine, birth certificates and death certificates and a variety of other statistics. We have a nursing department that gives lots of immunizations, does lots of investigations of infectious diseases and that sort of thing. We have an environmental health department that provides uh, a restaurant inspections, a solid waste program to remove scrap tires and that sort of thing. Lots of license permits through the environmental health department. Uh, we have uh, education department, uh, health education department, uh, uh, headed up by uh, a wonderful director. And uh, we have an excellent administrator now, and Jack Pepper, as you might know. We we also house a dental sealant uh, program. So we have vital statistics, environmental health, nursing, health education, dental sealant program. Uh, and you, you also work uh, at least in cooperation with programs on uh, addiction, correct? Yes, we do. As a matter of fact, we have a harm reduction clinic. Uh, and, and we uh, remove uh, actually dirty needles from uh, parts of restaurants. And we have a needle exchange program where uh, those people who are uh, addicted to intravenous drugs, bring their dirty needles to us and exchange them for clean needles. So we we reduce the incidence of a variety of infections, Hep C, Hepatitis B, Hepatitis A, staph infections that they are prone to if they're using dirty needles, 
and we get the dirty needles off the streets and, and, and parks where they might uh, distribute them. So, yeah, we have a harm, and we also distribute Narcan through that program, and we uh, talk to them about treatment. Every time they uh, visit us, which is weekly, we uh, talk to them about opportunities for treatment, and some of them decide uh, whether, while they're coming to visit us to uh, indeed engage in treatment. So, uh, so that's that's a huge plate of things that you are responsible for day in and day out. Now, to overlay on top of that, you have a coronavirus response obligation. How does that work in relationship to the state, and what does that entail? Well, of course, we've had to restrict some of our other activities while we've been dealing with the coronavirus. Uh, you can get immunizations through uh, calling the health department and, and, and getting a, a time. You can't walk into the health department and get immunizations like you could before. We've had to stop our needle exchange program for a while. We're going to resume it soon. We're going to do it actually by automobile. You're going to drive through and, and in your stay in your car, and we'll exchange the needles. Uh, uh, restaurant inspections have been uh, held up for a while. Uh, we environmental health hasn't been able to do some of the things that they were doing before. So some of our usual activities have been. Uh, somewhat suspended, not entirely. Uh, emergencies we're responding to, but now we're starting to open up and we're getting requests to do things and, and we're starting to do more, starting to do uh, restaurant inspections again, and some of the other activities that we ordinarily do. We're starting to begin to do those again and we're getting requests for that. People are coming for birth certificates, et cetera, and death certificates. And, uh, but uh, you can't just walk in the health department anymore. You just you have to ring the doorbell before you can get in. The other thing that I forgot to mention, we're distributing lots of personal protective equipment. You are a, you are a supplier of, of that, or you basically are, are the distributor of that? We're the distributor. Uh, uh, we're distributing uh, lots of personal protective equipment to a whole a variety of agencies. Uh, and uh, and some individuals too, as they needed. Now, how how do you work in relationship to the State Department of Health, especially on the the coronavirus pandemic? How, how what is your responsibility vis-a-vis -vis the the state? Well, as a matter of fact, when the epidemic first broke in January. The Ohio Department of Health began to schedule uh, conferences with us. And we would have conferences basically twice a week to talk about the coronavirus and what our response was going to be. And, of course, we dusted off our old policies, our isolation and quarantine policies that we've had for the long, longest time. And we reviewed our uh, incident command structure, and we made sure we had our commander of our incident command structure and our medical director and our financial officer and our PIO and our security director and our supply officer. We, we dusted off all those old policies and we talked to the state too about that. And uh, it, twice a week we would have conferences that lasted about an hour with the state regarding the disease and, and, and what was happening with the disease and, and the symptoms and the, 
and the concerns about this disease. So their epidemiologists uh, talked to us, and Dr. Acton talked to us. Dr. Acton was a wonderful encourager and, and cheerleader for uh, what local public health was going to need to do in the ensuing weeks. And, of course, what we were all trying to do and what the governor was trying to do was flatten the curve. You've heard about the curve. Correct. Then this surge of cases that would overwhelm the hospitals and, 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 and cause more deaths than should occur with the disease. We were trying to prevent that, that, uh, that, that peak and acute surge in disease. And, of course, we were preparing for the surge. We were talking to the state about what we could do to help prepare, prepare. And, of course, we had conversations with the hospital regarding what they could do. And, you know, we have a, about a 60-bed hospital uh, over at Oblenis, and, uh, and they managed to increase their capacity to about 120 beds. And, of course, they are owned by Ohio Health, and so they have resources from Ohio Health. And, of course, Ohio Health developed uh, many, many beds uh, in Columbus. They... Uh, they increased their capacity in Columbus by about a thousand beds uh, by using nationwide, uh, uh, the nationwide uh, uh, place, and, and they increased it by a thousand beds uh, and and provided uh, IV fluids uh, there in case they had a huge surge. And as it turned out. Uh, it was Nationwide Arena. As it turned out, right. we didn't have that surge. Uh, happily, we were fortunate we didn't have the surge, and, and probably that was because of the governor's restrictions. Now, so, it, 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 I'm going to get into that a, a little bit because it sounds to me as an outsider that you have the head of the Ohio Department of Health, and that's Dr. Amy Atkin, who advises the governor uh, and the governor's cabinet uh, on ways that Ohio, as a prototype for other states, uh, would react to the virus. Dr. Adkin, however, had two-way communication with the local departments of health, uh, one, sending requests and or orders or uh, uh, guest requests uh, back to the local Department of Health for them to act on or to cooperate with local hospitals, local medical units, uh, local physicians. And then the second part of that communication was from the local Department of Health back to Dr. Adkin so she could put that with her staff uh, into advice that went to the governor. Is is that a correct sort of characterization? I think that's a very accurate assessment of the communications. Certainly, the Department of Health communicated with us uh, at least twice a week. There were some days that we had calls twice a day, and we were uh, given the opportunity to ask questions. Of course, there were lots of questions and there's still lots of questions regarding this disease and the epidemiology of the disease and how this virus behaves. Uh, there's an awful lot we don't know. Uh, if you get infected uh, and you develop antibodies, how long do those antibodies persist? How long do they protect you? Uh, is the protection complete? 
or are you vulnerable? What about the asymptomatic carrier? How long does that last? How contagious are those people? We presume they are contagious. There's a lot to be learned. And the epidemiologists are looking at all this, and, and gradually we will learn more about it over the coming weeks and months. Uh, but we, we, we got some basic information from the Department of Health. They gave us what they knew and, and also uh, gave us some direction about uh, how we should behave and, and what we should do to get prepared, primarily for the surge early on. Uh, now, now our role has begun to change uh, uh, since we didn't have that surge. Uh, you know, as he closed the businesses, our role was to deal with the businesses and, and uh, help to decide which were essential and which were non-essential businesses. We had lots of conversations with businesses uh, regarding whether they should close or not close. Uh, that, was, that was our role for a while. Uh, to uh, convince those people who were non-essential businesses to close. I had some conversations with, with businesses during that time. That was a difficult time uh, because we were asking them to close and that was going to affect them economically severely. So we worried about that. Um, now we're opening up and our role is a, a little bit different. Uh, now that we're opening up, our, our role is to make sure that they're compliant with masking and with distancing in the business and making sure that they're following safe business practices. So, so we moved from, uh, let's say, closing enforcement, if you will, to opening up enforcement in a safe manner. So, so uh, let, me, let me ask a question on that specifically, and that is, let's say the state director of health uh, in Ohio, that would be Dr. Atkin. It could be it, other people, obviously, in, in, in other states. Let's say that her office gets a call about XYZ business in Athens County, Ohio, that is not following the appropriate mandated guidelines from the State Department of Health. Does that come to you then for action, or does the state do that on its own? How does that work? If she gets a call, does it then trickle down to you? Yes, it'll trickle down to us, and then we'll investigate. And sometimes that happens. Uh, but they try to keep the local health departments involved. Now, uh, occasionally, because they're is some confusion in the order from the governor. It may not be entirely clear. They have a committee to discern uh, what action should be taken. In other words, they have a committee to arbitrate uh, difficult decisions, and then they will act on that whenever it, it maybe is very difficult to know what, what should be uh, decided. Uh, they have a committee that will act upon that, will act upon the complaint, and, and we're happy to have them do that sometimes. I, I noticed that, again, using Ohio as a prototype, and, and I'm sure this is replicated across the nation, Ohio is specifically blessed with having some premier medical facilities, Cleveland Clinic, the Wexner Center at Ohio State, Ohio Health, uh, among others. 
uh, uh, around the state. They also have some major research centers uh, researching medical issues here in, in Ohio. It seems that this virus has brought together the various research and modeling centers with hospitals and hospital associations with departments of health into a communication web that may not have existed before or certainly was not utilized to this extent. Is that accurate? That's very accurate. As a matter of fact, the Nationwide Arena 1,000-bed capability uh, occurred because Mount Carmel Health, Ohio Health, and Ohio State Medical Center all cooperated to make that happen. So the three major hospital providers in the city of Columbus worked together and were going to administer the 1,000-bed hospital facility, a nationwide arena, if uh, the surge had occurred. Luckily, it didn't happen. but uh, they, that was a wonderful uh, demonstration of cooperation be- th- between three major hospital entities in a large city. They worked together, th- together to make that happen. And, and so I, I'm sure on, uh, on various other levels that the, those uh, cooperative, cooperative activities have occurred. Uh, certainly we've gotten to know uh, our uh, state epidemiologists, and Dr. Acton uh, very well through this. And, and we've had conversations with the state epidemiologist regarding, you know, what we should, what we should do about certain activities. Uh, you know, <laughs> recently uh, I, uh, I talked to them about, uh, you know, our, our local, local swimming pools. And they are opening up swimming pools if you can provide a safe uh, facility. And, and, and so I had some conversations with them about that. And... Uh, actually, I've had conversations with them about golf. I'm, I'm a golfer, and they, they had some opinions about playing golf. And, and at first, uh, we had to all they allowed us to play golf, but we had to ride separate golf carts. They weren't allowed to ride golf carts together. But they they've changed that recently. You can you can uh, ride with somebody else in a golf cart. It's outdoor activity, and and they've loosened up those restrictions a little bit. So, so, yeah, we have conversations uh, with the epidemiologists. We've got to know them, some of them on a first-name basis uh, that we didn't know well before. Although I have been the health commissioner for uh, about 20 years, so uh, I have had conversations over the years with them about a variety of things, including the meningitis outbreak at Ohio University about 10 years ago. Uh, we had a lot of conversations with them about that problem. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University seeks to not only educate its students about today's communication industry, but to produce innovative leaders who will shape the future of communication and its methods of delivery in a rapidly changing technological landscape. Scripps provides leadership in communication by preparing students to be effective and responsible communicators in a global society and by advancing the field through creative activity and research. 
The Scripps College of Communication fosters multicultural awareness within a diverse community. It strives to create a climate of civility where leadership and innovation are prized and responsibility and accountability are understood. The college values curriculum, research, and creative activity that provide benefits to people regionally, nationally, and globally. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Let's clear up something for the public. Um, and again, we're talking to a, a national audience, but we're, we're using Ohio as a, as a model. Uh, people get confused with health orders from the Depart- State Department of Health, and many of the closed-down orders or restrictive orders early on were from the Department of Health, as opposed to being from the governor. Part of that, I think, was legality that the de- the head of the Department of Health could take emergency action where the governor's power was questionable about doing that. But talk about state health orders. What did they mean? And, uh, you know, am I correct that they had to come from the head doctor of the Department of Health as opposed to the governor? Yes, I think that's true. And uh, she was able to uh, order certain things to happen. Uh, and, and that's the reason, uh, you know, actually the the uh, Senate and legislature tried to restrict her uh, orders to uh, uh, a certain timeline that they could only be in effect for a couple of weeks instead of a month, and that they had to have some role in, uh, the legislature had to have some role in approving those orders. The legislative body questioned whether they were being cut out of the process. Yes, indeed. And uh, I I think that that failed. It did. The Senate, by unanimously, did not pass it, and the governor said that he would veto it if it did pass. So Amy Acton still has, and and, and she's done a wonderful job, so uh, uh, she doesn't really come in for very much criticism. Uh, uh, In a very difficult situation, I think she's behaved admirably, and and I, I think her orders have all been reasonable and sensible things, except that, of course, when you uh, impose such dramatic changes in society, you're going to have opposition, uh, particularly in a free society, that uh, you're permitted to uh, disagree uh, and, and, and let your disagreement be known. And, and, and they, we do. But uh, Acton ha- has, uh, has, has behaved and followed the science really well. And, and what do those orders mean? Those orders... Those orders are truly orders and can be enforced uh, by citations. In other words, the health department can issue a citation. Uh, The uh, city police uh, can issue citations and uh, then go ahead and proceed to illegal activity. We try not to do that in this circumstance. Uh, We would rather uh, that... uh, people uh, behaved because we were able to convince them that that was the right thing to do uh, rather than uh, enforce it. 
it seemed that Ohio, at least early on in this process, maybe a month ago, uh, <laughs> this whole process has been a couple of months, but it seems like forever, about a month ago, uh, really high compliance with uh, the orders. Then there started to be protests in Ohio. There are protests in Michigan. You, you name the state. There are now huge protests against these restrictive orders, against the uh, governors, against the health uh, departments. And that leads to my question of making politics out of health issues. I, I know that you are a strong opponent of that, but that seems to be occurring in the nation and it seems to be growing. Is that a concern of yours? Yes, very much so. And I think it's growing because of economics. Also because uh, people don't like to uh, have their uh, life interfered with. We have Americans have freedom and uh, like to enjoy a whole variety of activities that they've been missing for a few months. But we need to remember uh, what sacrifices were made in the past. Uh, and, and the sacrifices uh, were shared by all. I can remember the Second World War. I was alive during the Second World War. I was pretty young. But I do remember uh, uh, many of the things that happened in the Second World War. Uh, my mother had a coupon list. She could only buy certain things at the grocery store. Uh, there were Cars weren't sold. The automobile manufacturers were making tanks and trucks and things like that. And the U.S. public made huge sacrifices that they're not being asked to make for this disease, but they need to make some sacrifices. They need to be able to restrict their movement somewhat for the sake of others. So it, it's time that uh, we remember our past and remember uh, what sacrifices people have made in the past in order for us to enjoy our freedoms. So uh, I think this is a time that... Uh, the American citizens need to uh, stand up and remember their history and remember what got them here. A, a, it, it's a difficult time. It's not easy, but we've done this before, and, and I think we can do it again. We just have to be vigilant and have some uh, uh, responsibility and some self-control, if you will. Now, I understand the people that are worried economically, and that's for small businesses to be closed for uh, long periods of time, uh, it's going to be uh, the death knell for some of them. Some of them won't be able to return. And so the economic concerns are certainly understandable. The pleasure concerns are a little bit more difficult to understand. The fact that they feel like they have to uh, go to uh, various places where there's going to be large numbers of people uh, in close association uh, that's risky business, and that's going to encourage uh, more disease. And unfortunately, this is a serious disease. It's a disease that can result in death. So when they congregate with 100 or 200 people at some event, uh, they may uh, either get the disease or infect somebody else because there are uh, people who are asymptomatic out there who don't know they have the disease, and they can pass it. They don't have masks on. Indeed, it'll pass uh, relatively quickly. You had to be alarmed at some of the images you saw from Memorial Day weekend across the country. I am. 
and, uh, and we won't know the result of that for about two weeks because the incubation period of this disease is about two weeks. That's the longest incubation period. Usually, uh, with contact, uh, you get sick within uh, two to seven days. I mean, usually two to seven days after your contact. But it can be up to two weeks, so it may be a couple weeks before we see the results of uh, all these uh, uh, groups of people uh, being closely associated with each other. Yeah, that's very worrisome. Uh, we won't know the result of that for a little while. One last area that I want to ask you about, Dr. Gaskell, and that is I think the average American out there uh, gets confused. They have their local city-county Department of Health, which you are the the uh, head of here in, in Athens County, Ohio. You have state departments of health. You then have groups like uh, NIH and Dr. Fauci and, and, and his role, and you have the CDC uh, in Atlanta and their role. How do all of those groups work together, or are they all separate, going in separate orbits? Well, and you know, we've got the FDA, too. Oh, yes. I forgot about that one. Sorry. And the FDA's in control of uh, you know, basically drugs, and they're in control of testing for this coronavirus and approving of the tests that we have available, the, the nasal swab test that tells us acutely if you have the disease, and they're in charge of the antibody tests, and they're trying to sort out which antibody tests are best and which ones are most reliable. Uh, so the FDA is in charge of that component of it. Uh, the uh, National Institutes of Health uh, it is an important agency, too, that does a lot of research and, and uh, uh, has an important role in the coronavirus epidemic. Uh, the CDC is really who we look to. The CDC passes down information to the state health department and sometimes directly to us, and then the State Department of Health passes it to us. So the CDC is really... Uh, the agency that uh, local public health looks to. They, they uh, give us basically our marching orders. They tell us what we should be doing regarding the, this pandemic and other pandemics. So the CDC is who we look to. I, I'm not making a partisan statement here, so make sure that, that my motives are, are pure. Part of the difficulty in all of this is that the average person has been getting mixed messages. It hears one thing from the state person, uh, and and usually the local is in tandem with the state, but then they hear something different from the CDC or or NIH and and one of Dr. Fauci's interviews, and then something different from. Uh, the legislative branch of our federal government and different from the White House and the administrative branch. These conflicting messages, I think, make a volatile situation even more confusing. Would you agree? Yes, I'd agree, and I think it accounts for uh, some of the uh, behavior of our citizens. Uh, they indeed sometimes think right now that uh, – what they're doing in uh, congregating as masses is acceptable. 
that uh, the uh, federal government perhaps approve of that, approves of that, or maybe the CDC approves. They think somebody approves of it, that that's okay, that the restrictions are list, lifted. They haven't been lifted. Uh, they certainly haven't been lifted in the state of Ohio. And, of course, there's confusion, a bit of confusion, because the states all behave a little bit differently, too. Right. And the governors uh, don't behave in tandem, necessarily. Uh, some governors are lifting restrictions really easily. Some of them never did have hardly any restrictions. Uh, and particularly in our uh, lesser populous states like, you know, South Dakota, and, uh, the, the smaller states with, uh, that have a small population, they didn't have quite the same restrictions that the more populous states have had. So I understand their confusion. I would say to, for most of the public, to look to their state health department and look to their local health department. And usually they'll be working in tandem with the CDC. And, and if they follow those rules, they'll be more comfortable and more secure. Uh, uh, follow our lead, follow the local health department lead, and we'll follow the state health department lead, and the state will follow the CDC directives. And, and I, I think that we can be uh, in tandem. And following reopening guidelines can be done at the same time as following best practices, health guidelines, correct? They aren't in opposition to each other necessarily. They are not. And, and in general, uh, what they provide is for social distancing, trying to accomplish that. Uh, you know, you, you put tape on the floor, you, you put reminder signs. Some, some places you go, they even broadcast that if the big box stores will say, be sure and social distance, stay six feet away from each other. They'll make those announcements intermittently. Uh, and, and they'll put up barriers to make sure that you are social distancing. So the very best uh, practices, uh, the best businesses will provide reminders about social distancing. And even, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think the proprietors say anything uh, about masking to their, uh, to their visitors, uh, but they mask themselves. Uh, they are uh, a good example. They, they all mask up uh, the uh, employees and the owners all mask up as a good example to the patrons. And we would hope that the patrons would pay attention to that because the masking is going to go on for some time. This isn't going to go away in a month or two. All of this isn't going to go away until we get a vaccine. And that probably won't happen until uh, at least the first of the year. Probably the earliest we can hope for a vaccine would be the early, the uh, first of next year, and it may be beyond that. But uh, that's the earliest. I don't think early, we'll early in twenty twenty one, perhaps. Early in twenty twenty one is uh, earliest that we have a vaccine. Uh, the vaccines have to go through three phases of research. And they first try the vaccines on animals to make sure that they don't kill the animals. They use mice and guinea pigs, etc., and then they try it on a few people and see if antibodies are produced. And one of the vaccines, they've tried it on 20 people, and they've been able to demonstrate antibodies. But then they move to larger populaces of people. They give it to a few hundred people to see if they have any side effects. And if they get along fine, then we try a few thousand people. And all that takes time. And if you're going to do it right, you have to do it methodically and carefully because sometimes you have side effects that were uh, unforeseen. Uh, in uh, Gerald Ford's, when Gerald Ford was the president, we had an outbreak of influenza, and they rapidly produced an influenza vaccine 
too rapidly. And they had a number of people. Uh, it didn't go. It didn't pass through uh, all the phases of testing as it should have. And we had a number of people get Guillain-Barre disease, which is a ascending paralysis, and it's a, a rare a result of influenza vaccines. We still see it today occasionally as a result of an influenza vaccine, but not very commonly. But this vaccine apparently had some uh, proteins uh, that shouldn't have been the, shouldn't have been in the vaccine and caused an allergic reaction and caused ascending paralysis in a number of people, and they had to withdraw that vaccine from the market, but it was produced too rapidly. So we need to avoid that, and that's the reason they go through methodically three stages of production because we don't want to hurt people. First of all, premium known to serve. First of all, don't harm people. That's something we learn in medicine. So one of the things you don't want to do is give something, somebody something that's going to hurt them. So um, I think we're going to be careful with this vaccine. We won't get it at the earliest till the first of the year. So the pandemic won't end until we get a vaccine. We will still have it. Hopefully, if we if we uh, follow the rules, uh, we'll have just sporadic little outbreaks and, and won't have a huge surge uh, in the fall, a repeat surge of disease in the fall. I think it's possible that we could have a, a go back to where we started from, restricting businesses, closing businesses, uh, stay-at-home orders again. All that could repeat itself in the fall if our public doesn't take personal responsibility for masking and distancing and all the other things that they need to do. Washing your hands frequently is important. It's been demonstrated if you wash your hands five times a day, you can decrease your respiratory illnesses by 50%. And so that applies to this. So washing your hands frequently is important. Uh, although most of the disease occurs from person to person, less from surfaces to, if you will, from surfaces to hand to mouth. That's a less common way to get it. Mostly it occurs from person to person. Dr. Gaskell, thank you so much for your time, and we hope that we can come back to you during this pandemic for further updates as we have new things to talk about. Well, Tom, I hope when we come back and get together, we can have a, a conversation that's very optimistic and, and promising, uh, and maybe we can have a conversation about the time we get a vaccine, uh, a vaccine becomes available to distribute widely then uh, the uh, virus will go away, the pandemic will end then, uh, but we're gonna live with it for a while and uh, we need to live with it wisely and smartly. Well, let's hope that day is soon that we get back together. Yes, I hope so, Tom. Thank you. Thank you very much. Today, we've been talking with Dr. James R. Gaskell, a local health commissioner in Ohio, about the struggles of fighting the COVID-19 pandemic at the grassroots level. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available through the NPR Podcast Directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your podcast outlets. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast or have suggested topics for us to cover, please direct them to me by email. You can do that at hodson at ohio.edu. 
That's Hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu.